This week on the Vergecast, Allison Johnson, Dan Seifert, and Alex Kranz join the show. We talk about our Samsung Z Flip and Z Fold 3 reviews, Allison's Pixel 5a review, whatever is going on with Apple, Epic, and Google. Lots came out on that front this week, and Facebook's Metaverse for Work. That's coming up on the Vergecast now. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hello and welcome to Virchast, the flagship podcast of Platform Lock-In. Ooh. Every time you listen to our show, it gets harder to listen to a different show. <laughs> That's <laughs> everyone. They compound. We only work with certain brands of headphones. I'm Neil. I'm your friend. Dieter Bone is here. I'm your default HTTPS handler. <laughs> That's so much more accurate than you know. I don't know what that means. Alex Kranz is here. I am your credit card processor. Wow, you got some strict rules. I I am, yeah. Real strict. Charging those rates. Dan (laughs) Seifert is here. Hi. Good, Dan. I don't have a quip. I I wasn't ready. Nobody told me bring a quip. We do the beginning of this show the same every week. I've only done this like a decade. Nobody told me. (laughs) Allison Johnson is here. Hey, Allison. Hello. I don't have a quip either. You don't need one. Dan has much higher. He's been around for a longer time. (laughs) All right. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, Allison, you reviewed the new Pixel 5a. We reviewed the Galaxy Watch 4, the Z Flip, the Z Fold. There's a lot of Z stuff. We have a pay into the Galaxy Note that we need to discuss. Then there's a tremendous amount of lawsuit news, basically. We got unredacted complaints in Google versus Epic Lots to talk about there. There's Apple versus Epic News that just never stops happening. A lot to talk about this week on the Vergecast. I do, however, as always, want to start with COVID. We are in a very strange time in our our COVID experience, our shared COVID experience that we've been going through for over a year, far too long now. We are in the midst of the Delta variant spike across the world. We are hearing more about breakthrough cases. Two senators say, actually. Uh, tested positive for COVID. They're both vaccinated. Breakthrough cases. What I will remind you, breakthrough cases are vanishingly rare among the vaccinated, and you are much safer if you get vaccinated. So we have a story about the sort of certainty, the mathematical certainty that there will be breakthrough cases as more people get vaccinated, combined with Delta. I just remind and beg every week on the show, please get vaccinated. It does make things better. The vaccines are extraordinarily effective. Um, But as you hear that news, we have some stories on how to contextualize it, how to understand it. On the same note, 
Biden administration announced, we started talking about this a bit last week. We all saw it coming. Biden administration announced uh, booster shots will be available to Americans starting in September, starting with the elderly. Um, the CDC said immunocompromised people should get a third uh, shot if you were part of the two dose vaccine. And then we have a deep dive. We keep talking about COVID as part as a systems problem, a data problem, a technology problem on why our public health data systems have not even after all this time, been up to the task of helping us understand the data around COVID. So we're still in it. We get your shot. Eventually, we'll come out of it. Let's just hold hold tight. Here's what I'm looking forward to. We're going to have our birthday party in October. Lots of cool guests announced. People are coming. We're going to check vaccine statuses. I want to have that party. It's only going to happen. I want to have a 10th birthday party for The Verge in New York with lots and lots of people. It's only going to happen if... Vaccine rates go up, cases go down. Like, we're doing it. We're, we're charging ahead. Love it. But everyone's got to help me out. I've been looking forward to that party for 10 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Come on. Don't mess up with the party, guys. Get back. <laughs> don't, don't mess up my party. Priorities. I have a priority. I want to party. Get vaxxed. But also, it's safe and good. Do it. Yeah, but also, also the other things. Also the other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, you got you to gotta meet Americans where they are. All this high-minded stuff about public safety and health and dude. No, no, no. Do you want to rage? Get the shot. Exactly. That's all I was thinking. All right. Let's talk about phones. A lot of phones this week. Uh, Dieter, you want to you wanna drive this one? I think that the, the most interesting phone, but also, like, weirdly not, but is, but it's not. It's just dichotomy. It's, it's, it's a tale of opposites, is the Pixel 5a. Um, so, Allison, you reviewed it. Am I weird to think that, like, this is, at the exact same time, fascinating and boring? That's how I would put it, yeah. really. It's it's a real short list of updates, so on the face of it, it doesn't sound like much. So comparing to the Pixel 4a 5G, you get a little bit bigger screen. It's a 6.34-inch panel now. Mm. You get a, a pretty sizable battery boost, which has been, like, not the strongest point for Pixel phones in the right. past. And then you get IP67 waterproofing. And like, ta-da, that's it. <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's when you kind of step back and you look at all the pieces together and it's really impressive. And it's cheaper this year. It's uh four fifty. And okay. I think the four A five G came out at five hundred. So that's like what sounds boring on the face of it. But to me what's interesting is you look at sub $500 phones and every phone has its gimmick and it seems like the Pixel 5a's gimmick is we do everything you care about well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not flashy. It's like it's kind of hard to market, I think. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it's just a really good all-arounder and there's there's really nothing you can fault it for. Like there's it's not the biggest phone, you know, some people want a really huge screen. There's definitely budget phones out there that can do that. If you want a fast refresh rate screen, the Samsung A52 5G will do that for you. The TCL 20 Pro, which I looked at pretty recently, is like very snazzy looking with a curved display, kind of flagshipy. Pixel 5a is not that. It's <laughs> very, <laughs> it is very uh, just kind of standard and bland, but like really good. Right. And the, the software has always been like a really strong suit for it. You're going to get super fast updates, feature drops, a good length of security um, update support. Um, but it, that, that's not exciting. 
<laughs> well, okay, you say there's nothing to complain about, but this is a Verge cast, so we have to. Um, I think there's two things to complain about. One is, is like my hobby horse of why doesn't Google try hard to sell these things? So we got to get to that. But before we get to that, can you explain this confusion with the 5G support? Not the fact that Google like just puts up the wrong specs on its spec page on its website, which is hilarious, by the way. They just, just flat out got like three different specs wrong on their own website for this phone. Um, just, come it's on, incredible. Like, is there no copy editor at Google? Like, I don't know. No, it's an AI. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, copy and paste on Android is really hard, right? You got a long press. It's like pop, the thing pops up. It's confusing. So anyway, but before we get to complaining about Google's insanity, what's the deal with its 5G compatibility? Because it's not perfect, right? Yeah, there's a couple of weird things about it. The first is kind of less of a concern. Uh, there's no millimeter wave. Right. Last year's model, there was a separate version of millimeter wave sold through Verizon. It was more expensive. Chances are you don't have a millimeter wave signal around you, so it's not a big deal. Right. Um, so that's just, they're just not doing that this year. So it's all sub six gigahertz. Um, but the weird thing is, is the C-band support. And C-band is the good stuff that's coming, especially for Verizon and AT&T customers. Would you say that the, when the C-band, the new C-band stuff gets here, then we're really in a race? <laughs> the race starts, yeah. yeah. It's okay. actually, no. this whole past five years has just been like a warm-up race. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they were just, just stretching. stretching. They, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a NASCAR when they do the lap before the, like, the actual start happens. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. I think that's what's been happening. How many NASCAR races have you watched in your life? Uh, I have been in person to one NASCAR race. Okay. Actually attended, camped out there. It was super fun. And I have uh, watched... Uh, I don't know, a dozen. Okay. I'm just checking. Yeah. Way more than I have. Because they don't always do a rolling start, but I guess only in the context of 5G. Right. Okay. I want to keep going with the NASCAR metaphor. I just want to make sure everyone's with me. I, <laughs> I, could, I could keep going. I just said, uh, maybe not. The good stuff. The good stuff. So that's when, allegedly, it's going to get really good in the US, uh, the 5G. <laughs> so <laughs> that starts rolling out um, in December. So phones now are, it's becoming more and more common to see support for it on them because mm -hmm. you can hold on to your phone a couple of years, you're probably going to be able to use it. Um, so the Pixel 5a supports the right bands for C-band on the hardware level. It has the FCC certification to use C-band, but Google is doing a weird thing where they are just not committing to making the software update that it would require to use C-band. And that makes no sense. <laughs> Don't the Pixel 4s have C-band support? The Pixel 5, I think, was one of the early phones yeah. that they're like, we're bringing C-band. Does it just have like a, a wacky radio and they just they don't want to deal with making the driver for the modem that it happens to have or something? Like, I, it makes no sense to me. I mean, they've been using this this modem and radio for a, a little while now. Yeah. Uh, seeing as it's exactly the same as last year's yeah. phone. So I don't know if that's much of an excuse. Are they just going to like come around in two months and say for $25 more? <laughs> C-band plus. What did they say when you asked them about it? I laid out all these points. I was like, okay, so you got the hardware, you got the FCC, you're not committing to the software update. And they're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
so it's it's like it's really hard to imagine that they won't update, but it's sort of like I don't want to second guess them on that. So that's kind of is what it is. Like all the facts uh, laid out there, it has the right components and approval to use C-band. So just kind of a weird question mark on that right now. Okay, whatever. Google. Get is it this together. where like the Android community can get involved? Can they can they make C-band happen? Just some like big Pixel fans. If enough of them buy it, well, yeah. yeah. If enough of them buy it, also the networks don't exist yet. Right. A huge part of the 5G story in America is that all of the networks are fake. <laughs> T-Mobile's network is not fake. That's even Genophysis. Genophysis deeply fake. <laughs> it's just like. Yeah, I don't know. Anyhow, the race is great. The race is doing really well. The last thing is, um, where can I buy one? Well, Dieter, <laughs> first of all, you need to live in the U.S. or Japan. Okay. Um, otherwise, you're out of luck. Great. Uh, and then it's not being sold through carriers this year. It's Google Store and um, their wireless brand. And that's it. That's where you can get it. You can't. Tell your uncle to go pick one up when his, like, two-year contract is over at Verizon. Um, yeah, it's kind of it kind of sucks. I want to be like, this is a phone that a lot of people should buy. And it's sort of hard to track down. Why? <laughs> so, actually, like, the, 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 the big question is, why didn't they just, like, cut the price on the 4A 5G or, you know, whatever and not make this phone since they can't get it into carriers anyway. Like, And they've got the 6 coming, which is the high-end one. That they have promised to market. Yeah, which they have promised to market. Yeah, yeah. So there's a little bit of, like, why does this phone exist for Google, um, which is, like, the perennial question for Pixel phones. Yeah. I, I don't know if they want to get it out there with a, a new number on it, and that's going to be exciting to a small <laughs> amount of people. Or, I mean, they did talk a lot about... Um, the chip shortage and um, supply chain constraints making this harder to distribute. So it's possible they wanted to go bigger on this and just didn't have the resources to do it. Yeah, so we kind of landed in this weird like limbo of it exists, but it's only in these limited channels. And yeah, it's sort of too bad. It's interesting to me that Google isn't putting more of an effort on this model and that all of its kind of hopes and dreams and, and plans for the Pixel line seem to be tied up with the Pixel 6, considering so far the Pixel models that have sold are the A-series. Like, they're the ones that they sell a lot more of than the Pixel 4 and the Pixel 5 and so on. So you'd think, if you're looking at it from like a business perspective, that maybe we put more of our effort behind the A series and we do the the flagship as like an aspirational supercar, whatever. And we don't really expect anyone to buy it, but we market the heck out of the A series and that's the one that people buy. But like they are not doing that at all, at least as far as we can tell. Yeah. Sorry, I'm just hung up on you calling the Pixel a supercar. <laughs> Maybe it will be. I don't know. We're, we're like... doing a lot of car metaphors today, and this is <laughs> it's killing me. Look, Jeff Gordon drives a supercar, or Jeff Gordon drives a Pixel 6, and then everyone buys Pixel 5As, right? That sold a lot of Ford Tauruses. Wow. <laughs> okay. Like a, just an infinity. <laughs> Nila is staring at me through the Zoom call. <laughs> the very, 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 very last Pixel thing. 
we, we have to get out this car metaphor. Although cars have battery, never. I'm not. I'm not going to try and do it. Um, <laughs> the audience cared just as much about the fact that Google's not putting a, a wall wart charger in the Pixel Six box as they did about this review. <laughs> and it's yeah. Like, it's okay. Yep. They're, they they're doing the same thing that Samsung has done and that Apple did first. And okay, but like everyone, I don't know, is real mad or I don't. It's it's I don't know. It was obvious that this was going to happen to me. Yeah. Maybe it still just kind of stings when you feel like you're entitled to that thing. Yeah. You know, you paid for your phone, you get a charger in the box, and then they tell you, no, you don't get one anymore, but the phone's not cheaper. So I don't know. Maybe we just we just need to have a collective moment of that every time <laughs> we find out <laughs> that another, another manufacturer has taken the charger away. But yeah, it's kind of inevitable. Will they include the cord? Uh they better. Like, they have I to. So. I feel like we're we're another cycle away from them taking the cord away. Oh, if they God. keep the cord, I'm fine. Because like I have a little a little wall wart that has me like I can do like three or four cords into it. And that's what I use. I don't I don't need and the extra cords ones. are, are kind of consumable. Like you use a cord for a couple of years, they kind of tend to break. They yeah. wear out. They get gross. Yeah. You want it to be replaced. The warts last forever. I have stepped on so many in my house that I just like forget I own. Do you have a drawer? No, I had a box. Uh, I had to organize mine into big Ziploc bags. So USB-A, <laughs> USB-C. <laughs> oh, smart. Well, let me just ask a question about the, the price here. So 450 that's good. It's competitive. It's, it's got all the features. We're expecting a very high-end $1,000 plus Pixel 6 to come out. There's a pretty big hole in the middle of Google's lineup, right? Like 450 is, you know, just I'm assuming most people are familiar with Apple's lineup, but Samsung's lineup is the same. Like at every 50 or $100 price point, there is a phone available for you from Apple or Samsung. Google's like, here's this extremely weird set of compromises at $450. And then here's the promise of us actually trying. And Dieter, I think we're just assuming it'll be plus $1,000. Um, I think the pl- the pro will be. I think that the regular Pixel 6, I've kind of been there, but... Um I might be the only one who thinks that it, it could potentially cost a thousand bucks. They might make the pick the regular Pixel Six a little bit less expensive, but who knows? Yeah, I just I, you had that conversation with Rick Osterloh, and he, you know, he was like, "We're going to try now," and yeah. then they're like, "But not yet, <laughs> right?" And like, I don't know, like the the rolling start metaphor is just in my brain now. Like, yep, you do the rolling start, so you, you're just like you're ready to go, and there's no way that this is a rolling start, right? This is just like a. They're like, well, we just got to get this thing out of the way so we can put all our attention over here. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the most popular iPhone model, it's the iPhone 12, right? Which is 700 bucks and or eight, uh, 730 or 830, whatever. It's in that mid range. And then like the most popular Samsung models are their A series, which are anywhere from, uh, Allison, you know this better than I do, but what, $300 on up to $650. Mm-hmm. So like there is definitely like a gap where you could be like, well, why don't they just keep selling the Pixel 5 for 700 bucks? But then you realize that nobody's going to buy a Pixel 5 for $700 in late 2021, are they? So, I don't know. They're kind of in a yeah. pickle where they got to get like a lineup going to be able yeah. to fill those gaps. I think it's a weird gap, maybe particularly in the U.S. market, too, because I was just writing about OnePlus bringing yet another phone not to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's sort of in that that like upper mid-range kind of price bracket where it's like, has several features that are like really nice upgrades from kind of the the 500 mid-range 
And they've just said, see ya, we're not bringing this kind of phone to the US. It's either super budget or you're gonna buy a flagship. I don't know if that's like been decided for us or if we decided that. I have a theory. Increasingly, I believe that the US market is wackadoo. Uh, compared to the rest of the world. Uh, and like Samsung, we're going to get into Samsung and how their S- S sales have just plummeted. And the big beneficiary of it, you might not realize here in the U.S. because they don't sell here really, is Xiaomi. Uh, so they have been just skyrocketing. Um, and we just have no idea. Uh, OnePlus, they sell a few phones here in the U.S., but really they're putting a bunch of their effort in other markets. Um, so there's something about uh, the U.S. that makes companies not want to compete here. It's almost like the competition is hard. It's almost like there's gatekeepers, like like maybe carriers or something, are trying Weird. to stop stop it. It's very strange. It's fascinating. Someone should look into that. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. All right. Okay. That's a Pixel 5a coming out somehow. It's a mystery. It's a challenge, really. It's like finding a Pokemon to get it. And then, Dieter, you reviewed the Fold 3? I reviewed the Fold 3. That review will come out next week, but I know enough to talk about it this week. And we, we just we got to get this thing done, so we're going to talk about that one. Uh, Dan's also here because he reviewed the Flip, and then I also reviewed the Watch. Let's just knock, knock the Watch out, because we talked about it a bunch last week, and I feel like I read the review... It's what it's what we talked about. It's everything we said last week was true. It is a um, it is a Samsung watch uh, for Samsung phones. And one thing I want to make clear is that's fine. It's okay that Samsung made a watch for Samsung phones. It's only frustrating because the platform it's using is the one that we know is supposed to be the good platform for all Android phones. It's just not. This is not that watch. And so. Uh, I'm not saying it's inherently bad because it's a Samsung watch for Samsung phones. There are inherent problems with Samsung ecosystem, a.k.a. Bixby. But it's not the thing that people might have been hoping for, and I needed to be really clear about that in discussing it because I don't want anyone to think that they should buy this thing for a OnePlus phone or a Pixel or whatever because you're just not going to have a good time. But if you've got a Samsung phone, go for it. It's great. You know, assuming that you trust their privacy policy, which... I got to say, I, I received a lot of slacks from Dieter during the course of his review where he was like, this is nuts. And then like five seconds later, he'd be like, ah, but maybe it's fine. And then like a couple minutes later, he'd be like, ah, it's nuts yeah. because it's impossible to read and understand. Well, it's not only that, but I spent all weekend just pressing Samsung and, and these poor people were like answering my, my emails over the weekend all weekend. They are ended encrypting their health data. Uh, they are not sharing it with third parties. You have to be the one to explicitly do that. Uh, They do not, they say, have access to your health data unless you explicitly give them permission to look at it. But none of that information is clear on their privacy policy because their privacy policy was written to protect Samsung, you know, just in case they happen to look at something, right, or happen to be wrong about whatever. And so the big problem with their privacy policy isn't necessarily what Samsung does with the data. It's that Samsung isn't clear enough about what you can do to make sure that it doesn't have access to your data. Um, Because there are ways, you know, assuming they're telling me the truth, to do that, to use their health platform and have all your data be fully encrypted and inaccessible to Samsung or anybody else. But Samsung doesn't make it clear how to do that. That's how they get you. Yeah. (laughs) Somewhere right now, Eric Samsung is like, Dieter's heart is beating. (laughs) That's the name of the project manager. (laughs) Okay. I don't know who works at Samsung. Okay, let's talk about the flip. Dan, is it time? Uh, 
It feels like mm-hmm. if you are buying a new phone and you're buying a new Samsung phone and you are willing, wanting to spend a thousand bucks on it. And it's the, the moon is in its gibbets phase. <laughs> it's in its gibbets phase. And maybe you've got a phone you're trading in. You could theoretically buy a flip and not <laughs> feel like you are making a big mistake. <laughs> like, I mean, we're, it's, it's, it, it, I, I don't want to downplay it. It is a really big inflection point, but most of that inflection point is because they cut $450 off the price. So now the Flip 3 is 1000 bucks, which is the same price as a Galaxy S21 Plus and an iPhone 12, and we all know that. And then on top of that, the carriers are being super thirsty with trade-in plans, Samsung's being super thirsty with trade-in plans. You can basically hand them an iPhone 3G and they will give you $500 or whatever. <laughs> and you can walk out with a flip for, you know, a, a, a very aggressive price, maybe less than a Pixel 5a. <laughs> so like, you know, it's, it's like the, there's a lot of incentive to buy this, but there could be a lot of incentive to buy it. And then maybe you make a bad decision. Like there's an incentive to buy a surface duo at half price, but that's still a very bad decision. But the flip three is like kind of like boringly good. Like we were talking about how like the five, a is kind of boring. The flip three is similar, which is silly to say about a phone that folds in half, but there's like no big gotchas with it. There's the price is kind of normal. The screen is really good. The processor's really fast. I had no problems with battery life. It lasted four to five hours of screen time every day. I went to bed, I had like 25% battery. So it lasted me all day long. The cameras are fine. They're not class leading. If you really care that much about cameras, you're not buying a flip anyways. But it's like, you can now have a phone that folds in half and fits in your pocket. And the one big lingering question is, is that screen going to break in six months? And I can't answer that for you yet. Samsung is more confident than ever that it won't. And you can get it wet now, which is also kind of a nice thing that you couldn't do before. But like where a year ago, if you were buying a flip or a fold or any of the folding phones, you were kind of walking into this being like, okay, I'm taking a flyer on this. It may break. It probably will break. A lot of people's broke. I'm getting like last generation hardware. I'm getting last generation cameras. I'm paying through the teeth for it. Not getting many discounts. I am buying this because I want to be the first person to have this phone. And now just a year later, it's like, oh, you know, a lot of people could buy these this fall. And then a lot of people have flips. And like that pace of acceleration of iteration just seems way faster than I think anybody anticipated for these folding phones. And so that was kind of like my takeaway. It was like, it just felt normal. Like, it's like, oh, I could live with this. Like, this is normal. There's no other really to complain about. If you like the idea of something that has a big screen that fits in your pocket because you can fold it in half, this is now a viable option for you. I mean, that just sounds cool. <laughs> I'm sorry. That just sounds like... Yeah, it is very cool. Cool as hell. Like, like, I know we're all like shrugging, but like, it's a phone and it folds in half. Exactly. Yeah. And you can get it wet, which is like... Yeah. A pretty remarkable accomplishment. Like, 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 like I don't want to downplay that. And I don't want to downplay the fact that they put this whole package together at a price that most people would feel fine paying for a phone. Because at this point, we've established people pay $800 to $1,000 for phones all the time, right? Like that hasn't stopped sales of the iPhone, hasn't stopped sales of anything, really. Um, And so they brought it to this price point where it's just like, this isn't a novelty, this is normal. And and that's like a kind of a, a pretty major inflection point for this kind of technology. Now, it could be in six months when all of them break, or if all of them break, that it's like, okay, that was a mistake, we're not there yet. And like, not that many people should be buying them or whatever. But like, 
at this stage, it's pretty, pretty wild to see and that they've iterated this quickly. And I think this, this is what Samsung's really good at is that just relentless in iteration on their idea. We saw them do it with the, uh, the curved screens years ago, and we saw them do it with like the note for years. Uh, and now we're seeing them do it at a faster pace with the folding phones. And I think there's to Dieter's point earlier about how their lunch is getting eaten all over the world by Xiaomi. There's, there's more incentive for them to accelerate this path path of, uh, iteration, but like, I wouldn't feel too scared buying this myself. Like if I were buying a phone, like I can totally understand why other people might and they want to want to take a beat and it's probably smart to take a beat with any sort of new technology. But this is getting to the point where it doesn't feel like new technology anymore. It feels like normal technology. But that's because you will buy a new phone in six months. Yeah, well, that's yeah, there's like zero (laughs) percent chance that you're going to have a phone for a year. I'm still the early adopter. Right. And so like but like even even last year buying one. I would buy it if I bought it. I didn't buy one last year, uh, a flip at least. You'd go in knowing that you're making compromises on it. And now you would go in buying it and really getting everything that you would get from a comparable $1,000 flagship smartphone that doesn't fold in half. Do you think they rushed into it? Right. We went through the marketing cycle where Motorola was like, it's a new Razer. All the influencers come to a party (laughs) and like Samsung was on the today show and like the products were not ready for that. Absolutely. We're not not even close. And now we're like the products ready and everyone's like, Oh, another folding phone. And we just like, we, yeah, they, they totally like, you know, shot themselves in the foot a little bit. But like, if you look at like the razor and those first, like to that point, like the razor was $1,400 had kind of a lousy screen had a mid-range processor, definitely had lousy cameras. You were buying this specifically because it folded in half and looked like the old Razer, if you bought it. Nobody really bought that phone. But, like, if you were buying it, that's why you were buying it. And, like, you you were like, I'm going to compromise on all these other features. But now it's like, okay, I'm buying this because I like that it folds in half, and also I don't have to compromise on the screen, and I don't have to compromise on the fact that it's water-resistant, and I don't have to compromise on the processor and the performance and the battery life and all that fun stuff. And now it's just like, I can buy a folding phone that is my normal phone. And, like, like that's a huge point to reach, but this perception, and we think we've seen this in reaction to from the audience and, and everything, is that, like, but I don't know. We saw a lot of them break. So like, yeah. like there's this like huge reticence from from the general public. Well, that's why I think the the nine ninety nine price point is. I don't want to give Samsung too much credit. I mean, more than anybody, I'm like, once these phones are cheap, then that's like the main thing. They got to they got to bring the price down. So they did it. But because the they're also water sealed, the only people that could feasibly repair one of these things is Samsung, right? Mm-hmm. And so you you maybe should think about pricing in the Samsung extended warranty fold protection program, whatever the heck they're calling it, into the cost of this phone. I think that would be, I know that extended warranties are a thing and they're often a ripoff and whatever, but I think it might be prudent in this case, if you think you're going to hang out of this phone for a while to pay that extra money and price that into the cost of this phone. Yeah. And if you pre-order it, like, like I said, Samsung is super thirsty to get everyone to buy these. They'll, Samsung will give you a year of that service for free. And then if you break the screen, I think it's a $250 deductible and they will repair that screen three times. So if you do it, if you, if you damage the screen, they'll do that. If you don't have that coverage, uh, Samsung gave me some pricing on repairs. Uh, a flip three costs 369 bucks to repair the inside screen. Uh, if you're out of warranty and you don't have their Samsung care or whatever, which is 
not that much different than the cost to fix an iPhone 12 screen, if I remember correctly, uh, yeah. and less than it costs to fix the back of an iPhone 12, which is always <laughs> hilarious. So it is expensive to fix. And you're right, the Samsung's the only one that can fix it. You are more than likely going to be shipping your phone somewhere and crossing your fingers and hope that it comes back in a few days and, and whatnot. But it might be, you know, if you are that concerned about it, a lot of people buy extended you know, protection plans. Apple Care is very popular on their phones anyways. Uh, but it, it might be extra prudent to do so. This is like, we, we mentioned that it's water resistant a bunch. It is not dust resistant at all. So in the review, I wrote, take it to the pool. Don't take it to the beach. Like you're, you're going to want to be careful in that respect. Last question. And then I want to talk about the fold. Tell me about this cover screen. Is it good? Is it all of my dreams? Is it? I think the cover screen is probably where they still have the most room for improvement. Like, <laughs> so not all of my dreams. It's not, it's not. Do your, do your dreams involve replying to text with Bixby? <laughs> <laughs> I got weird dreams, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the cover screen's bigger. They had to do that. The last one was kind of a joke. Uh, so they made the cover screen bigger. You can customize the look of it with different animations and stuff, which is fun. You can put widgets on there to see your calendar and weather. And if you're playing music, you can control it with the music. And you can read notifications now. But there's no, like quick reply messages. Like if you want to reply to a message, there's nothing in like that say like, okay, or I'm on my way or any of those canned message type of things. You have to either use Bixby voice command, which I think we all know is probably not going to work and, or B open the thing. So the cover screen still is there as like a stopgap before you open the thing. You can't really use it without opening. It. And that's one of my critiques against this design um, is that it is less convenient to use than a standard slab for smartphone that you can just pull out of your pocket, one hand unlock and like reply to a message or make a phone call or whatever you want to do. Like you have to stop. You have to more than likely use two hands to open the thing. You can kind of nudge it open with your thumb, but it's hard and it'll probably fall out of your hand if you do that. Uh, and you also kind of feel like you're going to be like scratching the screen with your thumb when you do it. So you like, you're using two hands to open it, unlock it, all that fun stuff. So it is a different use case than what we're used to and what we're commonly uh, familiar with. But if you want to have a big screen and you want to have a phone fit in your pocket, you will, <laughs> you know, learn to use a folding phone, I guess. I mean, like, that's kind of the trade-off that you're making. Yeah, I think I just think calibrating that cover screen is so interesting, right? Like, part of the appeal of this whole thing for me is that you close it and then you're done and the internet can't hurt you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, I'm just, goodbye all these people. I would want the cover screen twice as big. But then now, now you're just like, now I have a little phone. Yeah. yeah. So I have, a, I have a little phone for little phone stuff. <laughs> that like leads me directly into the fold. Yeah. But like, like that's, that's kind of what I would want because then I can, okay, I can reply to a message without having to open the phone, without having to really stop what I'm doing or whatever. Uh, I can, you know, get more context or information about whatever it is I'm seeing. Maybe I can read the whole notification instead of only getting half of it without opening the phone. But, but aren't you wearing a smartwatch? <laughs> I'm wearing a smartwatch. Is everyone like there's a real dance here between what's happening on your wrist, what's happening on the little screen and actually opening the phone. The other rub with that is they designed the interface of the cover screen to basically mimic what you can do on a smartwatch. It looks like a smartwatch's interface. If you have a Samsung smartwatch, they should have just gone all the way. No screen. No screen. They, they should have just made the cover screen of the watch. They should have just taken the watch screen, the circle, and yes. the whole thing. That'd be cool. Separate processor. A phone that runs two operating systems. It would have been awesome. I'm dead serious. They should have just done that. It's all Android. It's not all Android. It's like Wear Otizen or whatever it's called. 
That's what I want, a phone that runs two operating systems. Absolutely, yes. The other area they could still improve is the cameras. They, they kind of just went status quo with the cameras, so the same as last year. They're not bad, but like you can get better cameras very easily from a Pixel or Samsung's own phones or an iPhone. All right, well, speaking of uh, cover screens, mm-hmm. the Fold is a little Android phone that opens into an Android tablet. Like, I, it's hard to like escape that now, especially that they've fix some of the tablet stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, everything Dan said about the flip basically applies to the fold. Uh, the resistance, the durability, the actually maybe now's the time sort of sense of it. The spec updates here, like so fast refresh rate on the outer screen. The cameras are pretty meh. Uh, you can use a stylus on the inside screen, but uh, it's very wobbly on a table. And it also, um, I don't know, it's... It's not the note. With the note, part of the appeal is you can, like, whip the stylus out and take a quick note and put the stylus back, and you're done. With this, you have to open it up and then get the stylus out of wherever you're keeping that stylus and then start writing on the screen. But really, like, Samsung has been iterating on this idea of the this form factor with the little screen on the outside, bigger screen on the inside. It's got a crease. It's got a little bit of a gap when it's closed for three and a half generations now, maybe four and I don't think it gets much better without some huge technological breakthrough. That's like that's how I I'll just mm-hmm. warn you, Verge Castle listeners. That's how I'm going to end my review. Like, I think this is as good as this idea gets. Right? They could improve the cameras. They could make the stylus work on the outside. They could do some other stuff. But fundamentally, it doesn't get much better than this for this idea. And so, if you like the idea of having a big tablet or a mini tablet in your pocket. Uh, and you're willing to pay 1800 bucks or more for it, and you're willing to have a thing that's pretty thick when it's closed, um, the only thing that should hold you back, uh, besides those two things, which are very real, is, um, you know, do you trust it to, you know, hold up for six to eight months? Because the screen feels great. Everything about it is, like, good. The multitasking is good. It works essentially in the same way that uh, the iPad 15 multitasking works, where you can tap a lozenge and have a button pop up. But if you prefer to drag windows around, you can. You can uh, have three up in any orientation that you want. You can have pop-up windows. You can drag stuff around. It feels very, very fluid because it's using the Snapdragon 888. You can have a dock on the side of the phone (laughs) if you want. Um, There's a million options, but they're not completely overwhelming. And Samsung enabled this like labs feature that basically makes Android apps that haven't been coded properly to work in windowing systems just it forces them to do it and it works like instagram is great it i can have it be the full width of the phone i can multitask (laughs) with it and it like works at different aspect ratios when you drag the sliders around to change the size of your tiled windows the multitasking here is very good and there's the other line from my review i'll just tell you Uh, i feel just as weird and uncomfortable saying multitasking on an android tablet is good as you do hearing me say it yeah yeah I don't believe you. I walked, I've already seen the video. I was like, I don't. None of this is happening. I mean, I it, Dieter green screen. It's it. it's very strange. Dieter, how do you take photos with it? Like, do you open it? Do you close it? Are you like the the dill hole with an iPad at the concert? <laughs> yes, but that is great because you can do selfies with it. So, okay, there are three ways to uh, take a selfie. Okay, I mean, you can take regular photos with it closed or with it open, and having it open is awesome. Don't don't be shamed into not taking photos. Don't be shamed. Um, <laughs> you can take a selfie with the good cameras on the back. You, like, start the selfie mode with the clothes, and then you, like, open it up, and then you're taking selfies with good cameras. There's a 10-megapixel selfie camera on the outside for to just taking regular selfies. And then, my friends, there is a selfie camera on the inside, on the big screen. 
It is four megapixels, which is terrible, but I don't care about that. Like, you just use it for video calls. If you want to take a good picture, use the good cameras. But it's a under-screen selfie camera. Samsung thought that was a good idea. Samsung was wrong. <laughs> it- it's terrible. It it has it looks like a like a screen door. It looks like the opposite of pixel density. It looks like a zit. And it because it has that screen door effect, it's got the more effect. And so it draws your eye. I think I complained about this you last did. week. It just draws your eye. Yeah. yeah. It just it's just like a magnet. Zip. Um, it's just as bad a week later as it was when I first looked at it. It doesn't go away, and it's a huge mistake. And you can't just, like, kill it so it's a pinhole nope. all the time. Nope. Big mistake. Like, it's like, it, it, if they made a setting to turn it off, I would be a little bit more, like, eager to tell people that this is the one. It's it's just too experimental a feature to have put on this thing. It's just dumb. Yeah. I'm shocked. I mean, within minutes, right, someone's going to write an Android utility that just... Yeah, for sure. Someone will, someone will figure that Android utility out. Yeah, I mean, there's an Android utility to de-Bixby the thing. You know, you can de-Bixby any Samsung phone now. Uh, it's not too hard. If you've got a Windows computer, it actually, like, handles the routing for you so that it just works really, really cleanly. And there isn't a place to put the stylus. That's the thing that's, like... It's weird, right? Like, I feel like I should be able to close it. The stylus should just go, boop, right in the gap. <laughs> the, the gap is... <laughs> <laughs> or like in the hinge. Yes. Well, yeah. there is a case like, that has a, a a silo for it on the hinge on the back. No, uh, which I haven't seen yet. But yeah, I mean, this gets into like, are they gonna are they gonna bring the note back? To me, the answer is, and Allison, you could actually speak to this. Like, they should just make the note a cheap phone, right? Just bring it back, mm-hmm. and just it's fine. Make it make it the cheap phone to compete with the other cheap stylus phones, right? Yeah, they they don't need like. 20 flagship souped up, you know, phones that have like variations on the coolest and best specs. Like just drop the note out of there. It's fine. I mean, people love gigantic, cheap screens in doing tech journalism for a decade. There's only one thing I know to be absolutely true. And if you show people a big screen and then you're like, it's cheap, that will always be the most popular one. You can tell them anything. You'll be like, this one will kill your family. And they're like, is it 80 inches? $300? I'm going to risk it. Right? They're into it. And, like, Samsung has that opening with the Note. I think they, it was their flagship for so long that, you know, the meetings are probably very emotional. Like that, that that one product manager who's like, this is the flagship. Eric is just sobbing because he's like, why are you you're taking it from me? Yeah. You're making it he's $300? Like, are you out of your mind? He's like, remember when they used to explode? <laughs> We've been through so much. Uh, Dieter, I have one question for you on the on the fold. And, you know, the, the, the trajectory we've seen from smartphones over the past decade plus is that they have consolidated all of a bunch of different devices into one thing. But most people would agree that you know, a smartphone is not a tablet. It's not a desktop or laptop computer. Does the Fold get us closer to this single device where now it's like, okay, you don't really need a tablet. You could use Dex on this thing. You don't need a computer as well. You yeah. just have this one expensive Dex thing that you keep in your pocket. Or are we still two, three generations away? There are going to be a, a dozen people that do that, that like plug it into a monitor and use Dex and it becomes their sole computer and they're living in the future. Um, I don't think that, that it's it's going to be that device, really. The screen's just not big enough. You want a big screen for your laptop, right? Right. Um, but what I will say is the moment when you're like, ah, this phone isn't doing it, I need to go use my laptop, is like pushed way back with this thing because like you can do a bunch of tablet stuff with it. 
Um, like, I don't know. This is really dumb, but like PDFs are actually usable on this thing in a way that they never are, even on the biggest iPhone, right? You can actually read a PDF and without having to scroll around and pinch and zoom and blah, 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 blah. It's just like a little page on a, on a nice little tablet. Um, so it's, it's stuff like that. Like it's all the things that make big screen phones nice. This is that times, you know, 1.5. And you can, like, circle things with a pen. And you can circle things with a pen. That's true. All right. I'm going to buy this phone. Okay. Circling PDFs. That's, like, all I do. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm here for. All right. Before we go, Allison, you cover the carriers as well as reviewing phones for us. There's a gigantic T-Mobile data breach that kind of flew under the radar. There's a lot of other news happening this week. Tell us what's going on with T-Mobile. Yeah, um, it's pretty bad. So (laughs) what T-Mobile has confirmed um, is that about 47 million customer accounts were affected. Um, this is a data breach where some hackers got a hold of, you know, stuff you don't want to give away, like your social security number, uh, first and last names, driver's license, ID numbers. Yeah, that kind of thing. So it's all wrapped up in um, people who applied for credit through T-Mobile. So it's current customers postpaid, but also some former customer accounts or some people who applied for credit and just never opened an account with T-Mobile. So that is not great. And they've got a support page set up. If you were affected, you can go there and get some tips on, you know, they want you to reset your PIN and your password, and then you can get your two-year trial of McAfee, whatnot. (laughs) But yeah, it's, it sucks. And I think like if you are concerned and you think you've been affected by this, like freezing your credit is not a terrible idea. That's something they suggest on their site. T-Mobile has a really bad track record with this, doesn't it? Yeah, this is like the fourth one. Fourth yeah. one, yeah. The thing that kind of killed me on the on their page about it is like, so none of your financial information is out there. They didn't get your, you know, your credit card number, but social security number, maybe. It's like, that's Yeah, too- the one you can't change. Yeah. Yeah. They can just go get a whole other card in your name. <laughs> right, yeah. Just be a different person. <laughs> Assume a different identity. Yeah. All right, well, Our Nation's Carriers is always the most trustworthy actors in the entire tech ecosystem. I love it. We got to take a break. We got to fold this phone up. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. I loved it. <laughs> I appreciate your concern. Uh, Dan, Allison, thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to take a break. We're going to talk about software lock-in for a long time when we come back. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. 
It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. We're back. Like I said at the top of the show. Actually, a lot of things happened today. Mm-hmm. Right? It was like a pretty sleepy week. And then today was like a tsunami. So we, part of it is our fault. We published a huge piece. Sean Hollister had been working on it for months. Ever since the Apple and Epic trial uh, was over, he has been diligently reading every email that came out of Discovery in that trial. Yeah. And sorting them. So he put up a huge piece today that's, uh, did he get, I don't know, 107, I think. Yeah, over 100. Just, it's like 107 just like revelations from this trial. We're not going to go through all of them. You should read the piece. It's amazing. He's got all the PDFs, like all the receipts you could ever want. Like Sean's got a store. It's called the receipt store, and it's just receipts <laughs> from Apple versus Epic. Um and there's still like a lot like uh, Steve Jobs wanted to build an iPhone nano. Mm-hmm. He had Johnny Ive present mock-ups at a conference. Uh, <laughs> Steve Jobs, a brilliant man, did not learn the lesson about big, cheap screens. <laughs> <laughs> took them a long time to learn the lesson about big, cheap screens. And now they're all over it. But that's in there. Apple has like extremely tried to lock down its store. They, they've discussed iMessage and Android many times, and they've always returned to we want to keep people here. They do gift cards in promotions and the, we have emails proving it. They, they give gift cards during promotions because they want you to buy more apps and music and stuff mm-hmm. from their stores because it makes it harder to switch. Y- you knew this. I knew this. We all felt it. Now we've got an email that we're like, this is what we're doing. So just like an incredible amount of this going on. You should read that piece. That's one thing we did at the same time. I would remind you that, Epic is also suing Google. The case has just been burning in the background. And then today, the judge in that case ordered the complaints to be unredacted. Mm-hmm. So now we like have a clearer picture of what's going on. <laughs> you just, like, the, the, I didn't want to say it. it. All right. I will say it. Part of the unredact, unredacted emails includes a uh, program that Epic was complaining about inside Google called Project Hug. Okay, so there is this project. Still not going to say it. So Epic is like, they're going to leave the Play Store. They're going to do Fortnite, right? Android's open. They can do their own store. Google, I can't believe they called it this. PH, PH. PH. Google launches Project Hug (laughs) to hug the other game developers. Yeah. To like pay them money and give them free marketing so they won't go into Epic store or yeah. any other store. Google seems like worried. They've got, we've got in the complaint, they're worried that Epic's going to go arrange a deal with Samsung, other 
phone makers get better splits on revenue, basically have the their store preloaded with Fortnite, which they kind of did with, with Samsung for a minute there. Mm-hmm. So part of this game, this is a quote, uh, a hug, let's hug developers close and show love plan. A surge plan to throw extra love slash promotion at top developers and games, including other Tencent portfolio companies, because mm-hmm. Tencent, big investor in, in Epic. Basically, this amounts to they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on secret deals with 20 developers um, yeah. that, quote, they had deemed risk of falling to Epic's com- contagion. Contagion. Wow. Amazing. This is all like for a plan called Project Hug. Yeah. This gets very dramatic very quickly. So here's the thing that stood out to me. I mean, besides the name and whatever, um, that it's that the, the, the amount of money that we're talking about here, it was hundreds of millions of dollars that they paid. We've always, we've always said, you know, like Microsoft, when it was trying to get app stores going for Windows, we're like, just pay the money. Um, and now we have a sense of like how much money often gets doled out in these, these deals, these backroom deals. It's a lot. Um, the other numbers that jumped out at me was the stuff that uh, Google was apparently worried they lose. So they're like, from the Epic Game Store, and if you know other things start to just you know contagion spreads, it could be three hundred fifty to million to one point four billion by twenty twenty two, and then if like you know the dam breaks and there's a Samsung App Store and an Amazon App Store and all sorts of other app stores and everybody gets traction, they were worried they could lose anywhere from one point one billion to six billion dollars, which is just a lot more money than you maybe were thinking of in terms of scale for the Play Store. Yeah. So notably that this is just unredacted complaint. Nothing has actually happened in this case. They just took the blackouts of the complaint because the judge says the complaint should be unredacted. Google gave a statement to us, did not deny Project Hug exists. <laughs> it's real, everybody. Uh, Google statement, these programs are a sign of healthy these programs are a sign of healthy competition between operating systems and app stores and benefit dr- developers tremendously. This is true. It's true. If you just had two stores, if you had Target and Walmart, Target and Walmart compete ferociously to get the best products in their stores that compete on rates. This is Google also controls the operating system and they make the deals with the number one vendor of phones in the ecosystem in this country. Like it's true, but it's like also extremely a lie by omission, right? Like it's true that programs like this are a sign of competition. They're worried about competition. They're going to spend their but if you're Samsung, right, like you're also negotiating to merge your watch operating systems with Google's watch operating system. Like the level, the layers of control across the entire ecosystem are, are like massive for Google. And they've got a war chest of money that they're clearly just spending to provide all this extra promotion in their store. So like, is it, it's competition. Is it fair competition? Is it meaningful competition? Like, I don't know the answers to those questions. I would just point out they did not deny that it was called project hug that's really my main takeaway from the story similarly well and also to your second point the next thing yeah similarly connected to that same kind of point unredacted complaint reveals google had a, a program called the premier device program uh, that gave android phone makers a greater share of search revenue than they would ordinarily receive remember they give android away for free they monetize it because People use Google apps and services. They see Google ads. They can give kickbacks to the phone makers on top of that. So in many ways, if you're an Android phone maker, Google's paying you to use Android. But in exchange for this higher rate of search revenue, they all agreed to ship their phones without any third-party app stores pre-installed. 
when I like when I say it's like yes, it's competition. It's like Google is working every angle it can to protect its premium status on your phone. And this is just one of those, man, it's icky, right? It's just like Dieter, you and I have talked for years about like every time we use one of these modern devices, like we know there's like some sequence of deals in the background yeah, that is preventing us from having like real choices. And this is, well, here is the deal. But is this also why like a lot of that bloatware that carriers used to just shove on your phone that you hated, is that why it's gone? I mean, that might be part of it. I mean, it's also gone just because we yelled a lot and we started buying phones that didn't have it. Like we, there, there is some effect of like consumers choosing the things that are good and rejecting the things that are bad. Uh, but the the layers of sort of these, I call them kickbacks. You know, r- compare the the premier device program. You know, giving more search revenue to care to companies that only include one app store. To we we had was this like two years ago? There were a bunch of carrier deals uh, got revealed in like France, and it was related to Google Play services and like requiring that you you know don't make non Google versions of Android. And there were like there was money spun up in that as well. So. This is not Google gives away the operating system, uh, you know, and then Samsung or Xiaomi or whomever picks it up and then makes a phone and everybody's happy. This is a very complicated set of deals behind all of these phones. And I think what what makes this worse for Google, we've obviously spent a lot of time talking about Apple and Epic because that trial happened. But Apple and Epic, like the fight is very narrowly about the App Store, Apple's control of it, their arguments for needing to control the App Store and, you know, the you can just fall down the rabbit hole of whether Apple can have a monopoly over the iPhone, right? Like that is a very complicated argument to understand. Some people in like Epic obviously believes it. Apple obviously uses its control in various ways that feel anti-competitive, but at the heart of it, they're like, it's our phone deal with it with Google. They have all of these deals. It's their operating system that they have given away for free, that they have touted as being open that they are proud of, you know, the amount of competition, all these other app stores, they point to all this stuff. And then there are an endless series of deals and documents where Google is controlling the ecosystem that runs on its open platform in order to benefit itself. And so just, it feels like it should be easier for Google because they can just say, well, there's another app store. But what is actually happening is they are using all of their other levers to make sure their app store is the preferred app store and really the only thing that matters on Android. And there's more evidence because the ecosystem is wider and Google has the, has to use the other levers to maintain the control. It, in some ways, it feels like this whole thing will break worse for Google than it will for Apple. Right. Or we will hear more about how Google does it. Whereas, you know, Apple's emails are like, why would he do that? People would switch from the iPhone. And like, just like <laughs> rationally, this makes sense. Like, yeah, that's like a normal thing. Google's like, we can't possibly have anyone use a different Wi-Fi stack which is like a real thing they used to do, or a GPS stack. And then they like put the boot down on Motorola, and this is like a lawsuit they've had. And like we've gone through this with Google before, and the fact that they have to use the control, the, they, the fact that their control is influencing a bunch of partners means that it's very obvious when they exert the control, whereas like Phil Schiller sending Craig Federighi an email being like, ah, oh, that's a bad idea, does not feel like an exertion of control. Right. We'll see. I think, that, like I said, I think this one's going to be a lot wackier. Last revelation from this also revealed that Google had a gigantic plan to counteract Epic by building its own gaming division that would indeed 
also ship games on the Mac, which is very funny to me. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> someone's going to break that one. They're going to figure it out. It's pretty good. I don't know. They also try to they also try to horse trade with Epic to get Fortnite on Stadia. Mm-hmm. And Epic was like, no, <laughs> that's not a lot. Yeah. Like I said, just a lot coming out of these two trials, a lot of emails, a lot, just a lot of evidence that these companies are in fact trying to control your experience on the phone. Yeah. That brings us to Dieter's new segment. Our new weekly segment. I think it has to be weekly that we call this week in lock-in. Dieter, what's, what's happening this week in lock-in? Well, uh, Tom Warren uh, broke the news wide open of just how Microsoft is changing Windows to make it even more difficult to change your default browser away from Edge. It it's so petty. It's so so. Normally, you just like you have a pop up, you click the one you want, you're done, and then oh wait, I got it. I want to change it. You like go into settings, you find wherever the default browser thing is in settings and whatever. But what? The way that all of these defaults work, they're like handlers, right? So, like, when you click a link that has HTTP or, you know, da da da, whatever, Twitter slash slash or whatever, that's what tells the operating system, use this app to open that thing. Right. Uh, and so what Microsoft has done is instead of just having default browser for all the stuff you would want your browser to open, they make you go into settings and change each one of those handlers individually. <laughs> And also, if you don't click remember this setting, the dialog box goes away, it reverts to Edge, and then you have to, like, wander through the operating system to find it again. Yeah. And just to be clear, even if you do all of this, that doesn't mean that Edge goes away, because when you do stuff with the, like, you know, Windows search or clicking links in, like, Windows widgets or whatever, those are hard-coded to Edge. And so Edge still appears unless you come up with some, you know hacky workarounds, which do exist. I feel like Microsoft should have learned from like the last time they had a big browser that they wanted to be the best and mm-hmm. everybody use. You'd think they yeah. would have like maybe not be so aggro. I guess this is less, this is definitely less aggro, but like. I think Microsoft is like looking at the iPhone and being like, well, they yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the, the whole lesson here was Microsoft got slapped for browser bundling in the 90s and then everyone was like, whew, everybody. Everybody cool. relax. And then I will the, say this flies in the face of Nadella coming on decoder and saying we're the open platform for open competition. We have mm-hmm. a distribution advantage for Edge, mm-hmm. but if you want any uh, anything to be a first class citizen of Windows, that is what we're doing. That is the culture of the company. Like yeah. that dude said that to me, and then mm-hmm. I'm like looking at the screenshot. I'm like, okay, uh, what happened to that idea? <laughs> this happened afterwards. You know who else is is mad about this? Is the the head of Chrome uh, publicly tweeting Hiroshi Lockheimer saying this from the company that claims to be the most open with, quote, the most choice, unquote. I hope this is just a developer preview thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because he definitely knows a guy at Microsoft <laughs> who runs Windows. Yeah. Right? Like, Panos Panay runs Windows. Like, do you remember when they made the Surface Duo and they both, like, followed each other on Twitter and, like, did a bunch of hard eyes emojis? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they've lost each other's phone numbers. Yeah. Well, every good breakup requires you to tweet at your ex about how she doesn't live up to her values. Get messy. Let's see it. There's like, okay, we we pointed out just how locked in Samsung's and Apple's earbuds are to their respective ecosystems. Just go look at the chart. It's it's very sad. We pointed out that nobody's making good MagSafe things because Apple just 
doesn't make it easy to do MFI proper MagSafe things? So in order to get a 15-watt MagSafe charger, Mm -hmm. you need a part from Apple. Right. And I will tell you, like, Apple has learned this lesson before. Apple's executives don't turn over. Right. Right. It's all the same dudes who, like, learned the lesson from AirPlay, now failing to apply what they learned to MagSafe. So if you will remember the first versions of AirPlay, there were no AirPlay speakers. They just didn't exist. Thomas Ricker wrote about this in like 2012 for us. He would like wander the halls of CES and be like, do these speakers support AirPlay? And then people would look sad at him. (laughs) (laughs) And eventually someone told him that the reason nothing supported AirPlay was to make AirPlay work. You needed to buy a single supplier piece of hardware that was blessed by Apple. And it was so expensive and it didn't work and it wasn't small. So nobody used it. Years later, Apple's like, crap, our TV strategy has failed. AirPlay 2 will now be everywhere. They re-engineered AirPlay to support video on all the TVs that wants it and to make it easier for basically anything to have it. Now, everything has AirPlay 2. When we publish a story about a device that doesn't have AirPlay 2, everyone's like, this thing is DOA. Yeah. I want AirPlay 2. to. I, I wouldn't even consider it. And it's like, well, did you have you taken a step back, Eddie? Just thought about what happened here? Like he might be too busy with podcasts. I don't know if, I don't know if it's Eddie. I'm just doing e names today. Didn't the same thing happen with the lightning cable? Because the original lightning cable didn't it need like a very specific Apple approved part, and so the all the other ones would like melt and were terrible, and people were complaining about it. And then Apple, even Apple's own lightning cables melt and are terrible. No, but it definitely it had a it had a controller in the cable. It was definitely yeah. a thing. Yeah. yeah, and then eventually they're like, oh, we can't keep doing this because everybody keeps yelling when they buy the much cheaper cable and it breaks and they're mad at us and we should stop that. Like Apple knows they don't have to do this. You know how when there's a big tech event, we have like a a plan, we have like a template and, you know, we customize it and blah, blah, blah. Like we're like, okay, there's another tech event. They're going to announce some stuff. Let's get ready. And we know how this is going to go. We know the order that it's likely to be announced. We know like how the event will go. There'll be a live blog. We know we'll need to do like you know, this, that, the other thing. Wait, we plan these things? I just show up. You just show up. We do all the work. Alex <laughs> yeah. actually does the work now. It's just Dieter and I in <laughs> I, a huddle. I don't do I'm just like, I'm here to be charming. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the, we know, like, what the week looks like, right? The event, the announcements, the, like, analysis, the, like, devices show up a week later. You review the things and blah, 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 blah. We've got, like, a two-week game plan that we just know how it's going to go. Yeah. Do you think Apple has, like, a three-year game plan for each one of these, like, technologies that, like, they just know how it's going to go. Yeah. We're going to release a thing. It's only going to work with our stuff. We say it'll work with other stuff, but it really won't. And then, like, a couple, we'll work with a couple of partners just so that we can say that it does. And so Logitech and Belkin will make a thing. Um, and then six months later, blah, 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 blah. And then two years later, uh, we, uh, we'll redo it again so it's actually open this time. They just, like, they just have a, a playbook. But what's the gain from that? They get two years of exclusivity. <laughs> Where the gain is everybody buys Apple accessories, which are enormously high margin when they buy the new phones. Okay. Um, the gain is people, and this is like, you weigh it, you, you decide how, how important you think this is. But Apple's like, we can't guarantee safety if we just like open this thing up and let people charge it the full 15 watts. They'll buy bad chargers and their phones will explode. I've heard this from them a handful of times. I don't know. Like maybe you believe that, maybe you don't. But that's the thing that they say. And then the, the, I think the final gain is they want to control the ecosystem. What they want is the line out the door of accessory manufacturers waiting to pay the money, and then a huge 
vibrant ecosystem of people going through their toll booth. And what actually happens is people tweet crazy shit from Alibaba at me and say, this ecosystem is fine. And I'm like, I hope your family is safe. <laughs> and then like somewhere down the line, Apple like gives in and, and it, like they will bless more products with, with a cheaper rate or something. And the entire made for iPhone ecosystem is full of people who are terrified. They will not talk. We, Heim Gartenberg has been trying to report out the story of how MFI really works for 10 years. Right, he's been talking to accessory makers. They all they talk to him off the record, but like we can't get that story out of his brain and onto theverge.com because everyone's like, no, 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 I'm afraid my entire business will tank if Apple thinks I'm violating the NDA and they yank the like the business will disappear. Mm-hmm. So like the amount of control that Apple exerts over the ecosystem is like out of control. That said, it is at the end of the day, chi charging and magnets. There are lots of devices that work with it. The one that's the funniest to me is like Belkin makes a stand yep. that does 7.5 watt mag chi charging with magnets. Cause you can't lock out magnets. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like a line that I like, this is the most open standard in the world. Like, anyone can build a magnet, but if you don't have the software, if you don't have the little hardware chip, the iPhone software will lock you out of 15 watts. So they have a different one. That's 15 watt mag safe. Right two products in the same from the same company that look identical with one has more expensive. Here's a different part in it. That is ridiculous. Yep. And then I don't know how much we want to get into this because you don't want to hear me complain about RSS much, but actually had an incredible story about what a mess Apple's podcast subscription platform has been. Everyone has to upload their podcasts to Apple separately and like deal with their fields and they're really complicated and everybody never really screws it up and like podcasts are disappearing. People are losing like 30% of their listenership just from like technical error. That's real businesses. Just whoops. <laughs> oh well. My favorite part of this whole story, anytime we do a story that has a good like dumb file format in it, I'm like we accomplished our goal. Like this is what we founded The Verge for. It's like we're going to do two paragraphs and how the real problem here is a file format. So you use Apple's tool. You upload to their service. You pay their cut when people subscribe in their app. And then if you want any data about how this is going, there's not like a nice dashboard. There's like a gzipped Excel file. And like, no, like all these podcasters are like, I don't. I don't know, man. I solve crimes. Like, I don't, I don't know what this is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, all these people are getting this data in this file format that they have no idea how to access or read, really, and then no idea what to do with in the data. And Apple's just, like, dumping CSVs on the podcast industry and being like, see, we're doing great. And it's like, Apple, it, it's getting to the scale now. And we'll, we'll talk about Facebook in a minute. But, like, Facebook has been a platform company for a long time. YouTube has been a platform company for a long time. And like, if you listen to Neil Mohan and Decoder, like platform company executives, they know that they have to be very careful in how they like address their audience about what the platform is going to do because they've, they've just been taking the hits for a decade and they have to build the tools. Actually, one of the things uh, Neil said to me about how YouTube makes decisions is he's like on the back end, when we provide data to YouTubers, we think carefully about where in YouTube studio it will be right. Do we want to put it on the first screen or the second screen? Do we want to walk people to an understanding of the data they're seeing? And that's like the kind of product review he's in. Apple's like the podcast industry depends on our app. We're doing paid subscriptions. Here's an Excel file. And like, they just don't have the muscles to serve that kind of audience yet. 
And as they start to do things like make TV shows, they're going to run into all these other kinds of problems. The child protection stuff, they're running into this problem where their standard way of talking, which is to not say anything and just like ship another iPhone and be like, what more do you want from us? Like, it's just like running into the stuff the other platforms are good at. And, and I think that they maybe blinded themselves or we just assumed they would be okay at this because iTunes has been the default directory of all podcasts since forever, right? It's like that is a place where you know you can find everything. It's the place where the podcasts have just gone, right? You might put yourself in other apps or other directories, but the thing is being the default directory of all podcast feeds, literally it's just an iCloud folder full of text files. <laughs> That's it. It's just RSS feeds that people upload to Apple and they up and they update the, you know, the latest one when they put up their new thing. It's just a big ass directory of text files that they use to build, you know, their like public facing podcast directory off of. And you know, sure, it's more complicated than that, but the actual like podcasts themselves are hosted someplace else. And so the switch to subscriptions, part of the deal here, it's the same deal with Spotify, you know, needing to monetize, is they need to move away from that very simple RSS XML format so that they can start collecting more data about which ads you listen to and when they get inserted and et cetera, et cetera, you know, how long you listen to the things and so on and so on. And so that has been the big overarching story of what's happening to podcasts over the last year is we're everyone's trying to dump the format, replace it with something that's smarter. But it turns out when you dump a simple universal format that anything can use and go to something smarter, you also happen to introduce a uh, lock-in. Yeah. That's happening in like two ways. Like I don't think people love Spotify's podcast player. They're, they're yeah. the other player. In this, I, if you're listening to this in Spotify, thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, please <laughs> listen to the ads at half speed. But People, the feedback we get is like Spotify's podcast experience is like fine, not great. People right. like Apple's podcast experience until this last update. Now they hate it. But what both companies are trying to do is get basically exclusives on podcasts. Spotify is literally buying them. Apple saying, well, they're, everyone's already in our app. Just have them subscribe here. Now they belong to us. Upload your audio to us and we will deliver it to them. Right. The flip side of this is like right now, if you're listening to this in Overcast or Podcast or something, yep, there's a directory of RSS feeds, like Dieter said. That directory points you at the Vergecast, which is served by our hosting provider, Megaphone, which is owned by Spotify. <laughs> Damn it. That's the way it goes. But there are other hosting <laughs> providers. Those hosting providers spit out a bunch of metrics. They're competing to provide better metrics and ad integrations. And then there's mm. an ecosystem of companies around them that like will sell you other podcast metrics and ad integrations, all this stuff. And you see the stack is like, yep, there's a stack of providers that will help you record a podcast. There's a stack of providers that will help you monetize a podcast. There's a stack that will help you distribute it. And then there's like two endpoints in Apple and Spotify. And then the other podcast players are all much smaller. Apple's just trying to like eat up that chain and they're not doing a good job. Spotify's trying to eat up that chain and they're not doing a great job. And like they could do a good job. But they're so confident that because they own the last link in the chain, they don't have to. And that's that's like always the problem for me. Okay, we got to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about Facebook getting sued in VR. That's a good mashup. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Okay, we're back. Two pieces of Facebook news today, and I promise you they happened simultaneously for a reason, right? Like, sure. Yeah. If you remember, the Federal Trade Commission and a collection of states all sued to break up Facebook and Instagram WhatsApp. Their complaints got tossed out. The states go away. You're done. Too late. You had your chance. You blew it in 2011 or whatever. <laughs> Judge says to the Federal Trade Commission, which was under the previous chairman, the Trump appointed chairman, hey, you forgot to make the case of Facebook as a monopoly. Like the quote was like, <laughs> this whole thing feels like everyone thinks Facebook is a monopoly. Therefore, it is. Let's break them up. Like you got to make the case that they're monopolizing something here. And so he dismissed it. Today was the deadline for the FCC to refile that case. In the meantime, right, Joe Biden appoints Lena Khan to be the chairman of the FTC. Lena Khan does not like Facebook and Amazon. Facebook asks the FTC to make Lena Khan recuse herself from this case. I don't know why they thought that was going to work. She's like, no, I'm in charge <laughs> of the thing. Uh, her response in this uh, refiled complaint today is, well, there's a judge. Like, my job is to sue you. Your job is to defend yourself. And the judge will decide, not me. Right. Like, you're going to get your due process. But, but my job is to sue you. So that's her whole response. And then lays out this, like, scorching Right. Refile a complaint, Russell wrote it up, but scorching definition of what she thinks the relevant market is. If you think about it, the judge basically said, you didn't do this part right, do it better. Yeah. So they did that part way better. The definition is very narrow, personal social networking, and the complaint tries to explain why like TikTok is not a competitor to Facebook because it doesn't, it's not about your friends and family. Right. And like why Reddit isn't, and YouTube is really just a video distribution platform. And so the whole point is Facebook is about your friends and family. Right. And then it's like Twitter is is there to help users keep up with the news. And I'm like, no, these are I made some friends on Twitter. Have yet to make any family on Twitter. <laughs> this is happening today. And everyone knows it's going to happen today because it's the last day. Right. Got to do it today. All indications are today. So then this morning, our man, Marky Z, shows up on CBS with Gail King and announces Facebook has built conference rooms in VR. It's called Facebook Horizon Workspace. And he like they do the interview in VR on CBS this morning. It's like yeah. it's, it's hilarious. It's Alex throwed it up. We've got some clips of Zuck and, and Boz from Facebook talking about it. In VR. In VR. I used it today. I've got a quest too. I like plugged it in. Like uh, what's really funny about it is if other people don't have VR headsets, there's like fake zoom in VR. So like you're sitting in a virtual conference room and you're like a cartoon avatar. And there's and just then, a like, dude. Sean Hollister is like on a screen, like on a fake TV in VR in front of you. <laughs> it's it's hilarious. The whole thing is hilarious. I'm kind of, Alex. I'm going to make us start doing our meetings. In this <laughs> I'm so, I've got my quest too. I'm ready to go. <laughs> Let's disclosure. I'm not saying anything about any of this ridiculous stuff because my wife works for Facebook. <laughs> He's just listening. Yeah, but anyway, it was just a very naked like. It's a cool product. It's worth talking about, right? We had uh, Zuckerberg talking to Casey on the virtual chat a few weeks ago about the metaverse and this long range plan to get there. This is but one more step. It's a good flashy demo. And he's been like promising VR office meetings for like years at the, the Oculus developer conferences. 
Yeah, I mean, like the you know, Facebook executives insist that they have all their meetings in VR. I refuse to believe that. Yeah, it's, that's a that's good question. That's not for, true. That's you can decide in your heart whether Zuck is really doing all his meetings in VR. But they say it's better. I'll say that in my 15 minutes in VR today doing a meeting, I like thought it was really weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a really weird way to like. How does it feel to be a cartoon? Uh, super, super weird. Yeah. Here, can I just say this? Yeah. Every time any software product is like, make an avatar of yourself, I have a moment of pure crisis where I'm like, I don't know what my nose looks like. Shut up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I guess what, normal. Are, what are you saying? <laughs> Pick your eyebrows. I've, I, when is the last time I considered the shape of my eyelashes? No, I don't know what I look just like. Just in a mirror. Yeah. Like, what are, Pulling your Oculus Quest headset off over and over again to reference it's yourself. Like, it's such a weird demand. It keeps coming up. Like I have the new Madden. It's like make an avatar of yourself. It's like, why? Where is this going to be are you useful? In, do you play in Madden as yourself? You can. I don't That's because <laughs> first of all, I was very flattering to myself when I made my Madden avatar. <laughs> that dude is jacked. Um, but... <laughs> It's just every time, every time something asks me to make an avatar of myself, I'm like, I don't know, man. Yeah, oh, yeah. Same. Beard every... guy. Can you pick? Can I just pick a beard guy? It'll be fine. <laughs> Everyone will know what I'm talking about. Just lady with glasses. Go. On this screen in, in workspace where you're making the avatar, there's this incredible disclaimer. It says all product features might not support legs. <laughs> 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 Just an it's like, wow, <laughs> well, that's a real problem, isn't it? That's okay. Um, and like, it's funny because when you're sitting at the table, you don't see anyone's legs. Yeah. So like no product features support legs. None. Um, but you can turn around, you can go to a whiteboard behind you. So I mean like the actual product in use, technologically amazing. So you sit down, you're you know, like, if you've ever used an Oculus, like it can, you know, it has pass-through mode so you can kind of see a grainy black and white around you yeah so you tell it where your desk is you like draw a box over your real desk right it can detect your keyboard you tell it what model of laptop you have oh no you're like i have a 16 inch space gray macbook pro does it support mechanical keyboards <laughs> i might I mean, be in it's like trouble. all the way to the bottom of the list you're like <laughs> i'm a mechanical keyboard nerd uh, so you can tell it what model and it will detect your laptop it will place your laptop in VR Incredible. and then you can say, I want a whiteboard and you can, you can get up and walk to another part of your room and pass through, draw a whiteboard, like a big virtual whiteboard. And then when you're sitting, you get pass through of just your desk. So you can see all the stuff on your real desk. Yeah. You can see where your laptop is. And then incredibly, because it's a conference room, you need to have a laptop dongle. Oh, There's sure. an app you can run on your laptop, Oculus Remote Desktop, that will mirror your laptop display in like you know full res in front of you in VR. <laughs> so you can type in your laptop, you can see what's happening on your laptop, look around this conference room, and then push a button, walk somewhere else, and like draw on a whiteboard with a controller. That's cool. All this is nuts, right? And like your laptop hates this. Like it's like. The fan's running. <laughs> <laughs> just is it a jet in my house? No, it's just my laptop. It's just like all of this is like technically stunning. Yeah. Right. All of it is also extremely distracting because the hand tracking is like, you know, it's like a beta. <laughs> so like your hands are like flying, like cartoon hands are just flying all over just the place. Just flying over your head while you're trying to type. And everyone else is just like 
they're video conferencing like normal human beings, just taking screenshots of your cartoon, just like freaking out all the time. Just Sean staring at you. It's credible. It's entertaining is what I would say. I don't know that we should actually have meetings in it yet, but <laughs> I was, I was very entertained by playing with it today. Get the quest twos out to everybody. It'll be great. Uh, I, you know, the quest two is like, I've said it on the show many times. Like it is a remarkable product. It's, it is like a complete, excellent consumer product that happens to be made by a company with a, a litany of other problems, but it's, it is a remarkable thing that exists. I, I use mine like almost every other day. I adore it. What do you it. use it for? I use it for Supernatural. Oh yeah, Supernatural is great. It's fantastic. I love it. I use it all of the time. I hate that I have to like use Facebook. <laughs> like I hate yeah. that like Facebook is a part of it, but I love everything about it. One day I will finish playing like the Jurassic Park game. It got too scary for me. I had to stop. Too many dinosaurs. I tried to play the one um, where you're in a space station and something bad happened to you. And I was like, I'm very nauseous. And also yeah. I don't like these kinds of games. Okay. So that's Facebook. They, they were successful, right? I spent more time talking about VR than their antitrust complaint. Facebook for its part says the antitrust complaint will fail. The thing's already been dismissed. They tend to believe that the market definition is still too broad, that they have a lot of competitors. I think they have a pretty good case to make that Facebook actually competes with a lot of different things. Like TikTok is a real competitor to Facebook. Right. Is it, the kind of thing that Facebook is, it is not. I mean, that's why they just launched Reels today, too, right? Uh, yeah, Reels in, in actual Facebook. Yeah, or in the United States. So, like, they, they know it's a, it's a competitor. Yeah, I think the, the thing people will say is it is ridiculous to think that the market for all things is just attention, full stop. Yeah. Like, there are different kinds of products that occupy your attention in different ways. And if you just define the market as attention, then everything is competitive with everything all the time. Can I, I, I just close, but I just want to point out that as part of my full Z Fold 3 review, uh, I opened up a split screen with TikTok on the left and Instagram Reels on the right. I just had that experience for 20 minutes. <laughs> That's incredible. It's amazing. Just go. And like sometimes it, it felt like they were interacting with each other. Like there was like, there was like the bad knockoff reel on the right and the good TikTok on the left. Oh, that's like, really good. Yeah, it was really solid. Just content being piped into your eyeballs. All right, we got to wrap this up. But Alex, there's a, like a lot of Intel GPU news this week. You want to just take us through it real fast? Yeah, a lot of things happen. Not a lot, actually. What happened is every, every year, Intel does like three pre-announcements. Like I think Google is just like taking from their playbook with the Pixel 3 where they're like, this is coming, this is coming. And then like later on, it'll be like, okay, it's finally here. So today they, or yesterday, I believe they, they had this big thing. They invited all the journalists and stuff. Heimgartenberg went and, and, and listened in on everything. And they announced that the Alder Lake chip, which is like a new CPU mm -hmm. that's on Intel 7, which is not seven nanometer, oh God. but 10 nanometer because it's Intel. And it's actually kind of a cool chip because it's trying to compete both with like Apple and all the ARM based stuff that Apple's done that's really, really good at battery, and also trying to compete with AMD and Ryzen, which is really, really good at power. And so it's saying, okay, we're going to do like, we're going to start doing big and little cores essentially. They're going to have like a, an efficient core and a power core and merge them together. In, in this chip, and it's going to do be really, really good at battery life and also really, really fast. Um, not a whole lot of details beyond that, especially on things like numbers, like how fast they were crucially comparing it to some older 
CPUs because they always do that. Every time they're like, it's 70% faster than this CPU from seven years ago. <laughs> so we still don't know a lot about it, but it's it's a, it's just neat. It's just neat that they're they're trying, they're they're thinking a little bit outside the box because for like the last five or six years, Intel's whole plan has been we're gonna make this 14 nanometer chip just more and more and more and more and more efficient. And so now they're having to actually do like some weird, cool architecture stuff. Um, and there's some really cool architecture stuff happening there. Heim did a fantastic kind of breakdown of it. Highly recommend you go read it. He also uh, learned all about their new GPU, which they've been announced. They announced like three years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a little closer now. So this time they were like, OK, we're going to now talk about like the name of these GPUs. And specifically, it's called, hold on. Arc. Arc. Well, it's called Arc. It's the stupidest name in the world. <laughs> because, like, it's like the, the, the architecture this time is called Alchemist. Ooh. Okay. And then later there's going to be Battle Mage, just in case wow. you're concerned about, like, where we're coming. And then Celestial. And then finally Druid. Okay. So this is, like, the next three or four years, I think, of... Of this this roadmap of architecture, but they're they're promising that they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna be like selling to consumers, and this is where I get yeah. a little bit stuck because new chips they sell through blah blah blah. But like, what has Intel successfully sold directly to consumers in recent memory? Like, they just canceled RealSense. Not that that really was ever meant for consumers. Like, they sell CPUs. They sell, like, yeah, that's it, right? Everything else they've not been able to do. And so is selling a GPU close enough to selling a CPU that they'll be able to pull it off or I not? mean, they assume so, right? <laughs> like they, they think that they're going to do it because they, they look at AMD, who has a much, much smaller market share. And they're like, well, AMD did it, can do it and is very quickly coming for us in a lot of different spaces. And so we're going to do it too. And like the interesting thing is the money for them isn't in these GPUs that they're selling to consumers. Like the Alchemist and the Battle Mage and stuff, that's not where they're going to make money. They're going to make, they're trying to really compete, not with AMD, but with NVIDIA in the, the server space, in the enterprise space, because NVIDIA is just like taking everybody to school when it comes to these big GPUs that everybody needs for AI processing. And so that's like, that's what Intel's actually trying to do. But they're also like, oh yeah, and also we're gonna do like GPUs for everybody else and we'll be able to package <laughs> it together like AMD and it's gonna be super great and you're gonna love us and we will continue to be the biggest name here even though we've sat on our laurels for so long, they rotted, we fell. <laughs> rotted laurels. Like it's, I don't know, do laurels rot? I, I mean, like they, they, they are did. literally organic, you know. Yeah, they, they, they probably rotted. And, like, Intel is just really screwed up for years and years, really, like, didn't pay attention to to their competitors and where their competitors were going and is now quickly trying to play catch up. And maybe they'll do it. The, <laughs> you know, these, these GPUs they're saying are really fast. Maybe they'll do it, the Intel story. They're providing some cool, like software solutions the way that NVIDIA does with like DLSS. So they're, they're kind of their own competitor to that in the works and something that they do really well that AMD has really struggled with and only kind of caught up in the last year or so is that software integration. Like they're really good at integrating the software and, and making all the different parts of a computer work together well. So it could be a real viable competitor to AMD and NVIDIA, but 
we'll have to see when it actually comes out because we still don't know enough about it to like actually know anything besides neat. I mean, I feel like the Intel story is like Intel. You're going to love us again. Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, they have a new CEO yep. who I've been trying to get on Decoder for months. Pat, come on. I, Talk to Neli, please. We've, we've been doing Decoder for almost a year. And like the, the push and pull of getting CEOs to show up in the show is like very interesting. Like everyone wants to come in riding on the high and I want everyone yeah. to come in when they're the most embattled. Because <laughs> right, the most interesting question is how are you going to fix it? Right. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think they're waiting. <laughs> <laughs> and like the thing is all of this stuff that's happening right now he didn't really have any part in mm-hmm. like this was all in process for years yeah. now and and so his thing is like some of the other moves he's been making with like making deals with um smaller manufacturers to produce their chips and stuff like that like that's where he's coming from and begging the government for money yeah yeah and begging the government and be like look at all this stuff we're doing in arizona to compete with china yeah. which justine kama has written a very good article about how both intel and tsmc want to build these uh, chip factories but uh there's a giant water shortage and chip factories require a ton of water yeah um so my first question is why are you building a chip factory in the hot dry place <laughs> uh, but it turns out that uh, there's a lot of sun, which is very good for solar power, for powering these factories. And also because they, they just have like built up a little industry, little parts of the world end up randomly being good at certain kinds of industries. And Arizona is randomly good at, you know, making chips and having, you know, chip experts at the university and whatever. But this water crisis on the West Coast is getting very real and it's going to be very real for Arizona. And I don't know how viable it is to be wanting to build lots and lots of gigantic water-dependent chip factories out there. Anyway, Justine's story is great. You should read it. Yeah, go read it. I think she does a really good job of explaining the issue. And, you know, I think it's really about, like, there's that initial cost of water for these companies, but they've gotten really, really good at recycling that water and and reusing it and stuff. So they've got, like, giant pools, basically, that and it's just they fill it up. And so that initial thing is going to be... It may take longer. Who knows? But... Yeah, go read her story. It does a way better job explaining it, and just fantastic work. Can I just point out that Intel, TSMC, real companies, the real product with shockingly huge demand, cut sweetheart deals with Arizona to build their chip factories. They want to cut additional sweetheart deals. They built a network of suppliers and a talent base in a state that didn't have it before. Yeah. A critical component is water, but they've got a plan to get water in the desert. And Foxconn built a factory in (laughs) Wisconsin with no products on the roadmap and built no labor base, but managed to literally build a pipe from the Great Lakes to their empty building. Yeah. (laughs) I killing me here, man. I have a solution. We're coming up on the end of the Vergecast, and I think I know what needs to happen uh, because it's the end of the Vergecast. This just came to me. I think that they should make (laughs) O-Ran. The Foxconn factory <laughs> in Wisconsin should make O-Ran Just chips uh, for Genophysis. Uh A Japanese carrier called Rakuten literally put out a brochure this week that has been tweeted at me numerous times. It's like, O-Ran's real. Our network runs on it. And yeah. I'm trying to figure out why they put out this lengthy blog post. And I can only surmise that someone there is listening to our show. <laughs> because like, who are you convincing except for the eight people who make it to the end? And they're like, I'm skeptical about Oran. <laughs> Just whispering to Dieter. 
I'll send it to everyone. Okay, I want to end on this piece of news. It's my favorite piece of news from the week. It really sums up a lot mm-hmm. about the largest companies in America. GM and AT&T have announced a plan to bring 5G to Chevy, Cadillac, and GMC vehicles by 2024. <laughs> You're doing great, guys. Wow. We won't be halfway through the 6G hype cycle. Uh, it's amazing. Okay. That's it. We went long. We did it. Yeah. I'm proud of us. Yeah. We love hearing from you. You can tweet at us. I'm at Reckless Theaters at Backlon. Alex is Alex H. Kranz with a Z. Dan is DC Seifert. Allison. Allison Joe one. Thanks again for coming on. Decoder next week. Going to be a good one. Doug DeMuro, oh, the uh, shit. YouTube car reviewer. We got into it. Hell yeah. Yeah? My hand talks in smack. Did you talk about the, the quirks and features of his business? <laughs> we talked a lot about the quirks <laughs> and features of his business. If you are interested in being a YouTuber, you've got to get good at Excel. That's what I'm going to tell you. Mm. And he talks a lot about what he tracks and how he thinks about things. But he also just like talks some smack. It was great. It's going to be a great episode. That's coming out on Tuesday. We'll be back next week with more Vergecast. I'm assuming more where like the news is coming, right? End of August into fall hardware season. Oh, it's going to be. Get ready. Four hour verge cast. Get ready. (laughs) It's never going to stop. That's it. Rock and roll. Get a vaccine. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.